Hey, baby, this is Gail. You know, my podcast, Classy, is brought to you by Lessons in Poetry, Empowerment Through Words. I put these engaging, virtual, transformational lesson plans and videos together to help you find your way through life with words, how to fall in love with them, how to write them, and how to speak them with pride and with passion. It's so important that we have all the tools we need for self-expression and the resilience to be successful in this crazy, wonderful world. I want you to find out more about how to bring my lessons in poetry to your school, to your home, to your job at LessonsInPoetry.com. LessonsInPoetry.com. And that, my darling sugar baby, is your lesson of the day. gorgeous. Welcome to Classy, the podcast for teachers and other lunatics who work with children. I'm Gail Danley, slam poetry champion, master teaching artist, mama, jogger, and lover of anything creamy. Teachers, if you're looking for a place to put it all on the floor, you are in the right classroom. Scream, cry, burst out laughing. Let me know how you really feel about what you do. Welcome home, teachers. This is Classic. And finally, he spoke. Squared his little shoulders. Cleared all fear from his throat and spoke. Simple words that spilled from him. As painful as they were true. You had waited for his words for weeks dreamt of the sound they would make once they fell on the silent classroom air. You knew it was coming. You sensed the presence of some powerful life story inside him, so you waited. As if his poem was a bus, arriving in its own time, no matter how many lives the bus schedule told, and finally charged. The defiant sixth-grade boy spoke. My mama died. It was unfair. She left all us kids with no mama. I closed my eyes at her funeral and cried. Here he crumples to the floor. It was unfair. She left us. She left me alone. Was this Charles? The kid every teacher and every teaching artist hates. You know the one. Takes himself far away from everybody. Covers his head with his hoodie. Places his head on his stubborn black arms. And does nothing for days He's the one who makes you want to quit your job. His cool makes you hot. Well, first you dip into your little purse of tricks, okay? I've seen your kind before. Take this. And you fail. 45 minutes feels like a week. But then one day the stars... A line above the smart board. 
earth stops spinning around sun. The cheap classroom light becomes a sunbeam, making the desktops seem to sizzle. And Charles raises his hand. Ask you if he can read his poem. Yeah, you gulp. The students gulp. The teacher rubs her eyes, frozen open in disbelief. The angels sing hallelujah. And Charles walks to the front of the room like he's facing his death. But he doesn't die. But his mama does. He doesn't look at anybody. He doesn't need to. He just reaches into his jeans pocket, unfolds the paper, shivering deep inside, and reads and crumples more than his paper because the paper hasn't lost its mama. You stand there unable to speak. You let silence swallow the air. Finally, you do the only thing left. Open your arms and enfold this crying, crumpling brown boy. This is the moment you have lived for since third grade. Since Mrs. Epps told you in fourth grade, you would never amount to nothing, but you didn't believe her. This is the moment you renew your vows to your art. This is when you decide again <laughs> that you will never work, that you can never work another job. But this one, this one, here. <laughs> that is one of my favorite snap, if you like. Some folks like to snap for the That's one of my favorite poems. Not that it's perfect, right? Not that it's all that well written, right? Maya is not over here. It's just that it said exactly what I wanted to say. And every time I read it, it's like I'm reading it to myself. It's like I'm reminding myself like this is why I do what I do. Even though it hurts. Hey, right, teachers? Even though it's painful. Even though it's tough to get up on some of those Wednesday mornings. We can't quit. <laughs> I decided that I wanted to gift you this holiday season. Not with a big red bow, not on top of a Lexus waiting for you in the driveway. No, no, no. With something better. With poetry. With a down-home, raw-to-the-mic, real poetry reading. Just sharing with you. You've been so good to me, y'all. You've been good to me, and it's my time to be good to you, to return the favor. And actually... For those of you who are teachers, you know how I feel about you. You've been my life. I'm going to share a little bonus gift for you. Put a little extra something beneath the tree for you. Just a couple of minutes, right, of helping you to take the poetry that I'm going to share and, and, and give it to your students and light them up with the glory of writing a poem of putting that little sparkle on their faces 
the next time they moan and complain because you asked them to write something. So a little extra gift will be at Lessons in Poetry for you, teachers, just for you. So here we go. I just selected a few Gail Danley poems. Let me see, where do I want to start? Why don't I do something about Thanksgiving? I know it's gone, but we can keep on being thankful. Touch your heart. I'm going to touch my heart. So you touch yours too. I wrote this poem the first Thanksgiving after mama died. Shout out to those of you who've also lost your mothers. Here's how Thursday will go. I will not wake up refreshed because I will not have slept well Wednesday night. Restlessly, I will roll on the decent mattress my husband bought for us last year. Bully my pillows. Force them to fold under my legs. Make them catch my sweat. I will dream weirdly and watch cruel bands of moonlight frown between cheap blinds. Thursday morning will come, strutting up to the edge of my bed. More than likely, I'll awaken, mm, 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 wet with tears, that I will swallow, because I do not want my husband to see them. He would understand. When his baby brother died, he stiff upper lipped it. He took it like a man. For a few startling minutes, I'll think, wow, this is my first Thanksgiving without mama. Not that we would be spending the day together anyway, but this is different. We can't spend Thanksgiving together ever again. She is ashes now, and I don't even have the urn. Since I have no idea what to do with this, I'll sit up in bed and make myself wonder what I should wear to my mother-in-law's. My mother-in-law. My mother-in-law. Because I don't have a mother anymore. I can't remember who called who last Thanksgiving, but I'm sure me and Mama spoke. She probably told me that the family was coming to her house for dinner, and more than likely, she described the dressing she made the day before and how her big sister, Aunt Myra, was bringing her famous turkey sliced so perfectly it looked machine cut. I bet Aunt Gwen made the banana pudding and Aunt Ernestine the ham, salty and moist. Mama would have asked me weeks ago if I planned to come home for Thanksgiving and we both would have made peace with my no, I'm staying up here. Yeah, I know, I know. I should have gone to Atlanta last year, but who knew it would be Mama's last Thanksgiving Whoever knows these things. I will wear something nice to my mother-in-law's, a pretty dress and boots, maybe a pantsuit. 
and I will sit at her big wooden table that hides beneath a white lace tablecloth. I will watch her and her son, my husband, who I don't cry with, and her other son, Ruhal, and her daughter, Mig, and her six-foot-four-inch son-in-law, laughing and telling stories and trying to figure out what the hell that green stuff is that she spooned into a ceramic bowl painted with pink flowers. Just before we eat, she'll say grace, careful to include her youngest son, the deceased one, in the prayer's folds. I will watch them as if from a great distance, miles from home. Then I'll remember again and again and again over the turkey and lamb and crisp green salad that I don't have a home because I don't have a mother. Remember? I'm a newborn. I'm an orphan. I am a ghost visiting visiting other people's holiday celebrations. I'm a nobody. Don't try to comfort me. There is no hug for this. There are no right words to say. To make this fact fade like giblet gravy ladled over dressing. It just is. It sucks and it stinks and it bites and it's forever. This is the brand new story that life has written me. When I tell my husband that maybe I shouldn't go to his mama's house on Thanksgiving because I know I'll feel very alone, he says, well, I'll understand. Whatever you decide. Bless his heart. He doesn't know right now I'm not deciding. I'm surviving. I am cranberry sauce, tart, sweet, sliced. I don't know what to call what I just shared with you. It's almost like it's not a poem, right? It's a piece of my gut. It's a pancreas. <laughs> it's a shoulder blade. It's a clavicle. And I'm not going to sit here in the basement and tell you that you can write that way too. And why would, why would you want to? You have your own story. You have your own breath. You have your own life. You have your own thing. And your victory, your glory is to figure that out. Just like I've figured out my thing. I have figured out that I'm not the world's best dancer, not the best cook, not the best, but, but give me something to write and something I feel, something that is indigenous to my soul. And I got you. A lot of it, y'all, is about faith. A lot of it is about no longer telling myself, you know, I'm not a good writer. And where do we get that good from anyway? Probably comparing ourselves to some to our favorite poet or to our girlfriend from fifth grade. 
right? Where do we get that notion anyway that you have to be this and that and that and oftentimes you got to be white and oftentimes you've got to be some old dead white man somewhere who studied at Harvard or taught at Yale in order to write a good poem. Where do we get that from and when will we kill it? When will we shoot that mess right between the eyes? You know, Bell Hooks just died, and I discovered her work when I was in, it might have been right after Mama died because I was looking for all things woman. I was like, doggone it, I don't have the woman anymore, and so I'm going to make myself a mama. And so I remember, like, I've had two mamas die, right? Shoot. That's a whole nother podcast. So when the first mama died in 1989, when I was in my mid-20s and she was just a a day short of 50, I uh, started going up into the, the quietest libraries, the most remote reading rooms that I could find. And I remember like there was a library I went to, y'all, and I climbed up. It was almost like a little attic space. And I climbed up in it. I was all alone, of course, right? These things always happen when you're alone. And there was Bell Hooks. And there was uh, Miss Derricott. And I hope I just said her name right. And there was the other Maya, right? The stuff that doesn't get put on the six o'clock news. And there was this bridge called my back. And I discovered a brand of feminism that was for me, that was brown like me with crunchy hair and a missing mama. And it was out of that vacancy of losing the first mom in 89 that I started to write. Maybe, 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 maybe you will begin to write out of your vacancy, out of your missing places, out of the spots of you that are missing hair, that are bald and patchy and ugly and unrecognizable, the part of you that you that you rush past the mirror because you don't want to see. Maybe from that broken soil, your writing will come. Wherever it comes from, let me tell you this. Let it begin with a faith that you are good enough. That you are good enough to write yourself down. That nobody else has to do it. You know how we spin the the camera around and we take a selfie, right? I took one last night. I had the big, big fish lips in the picture, right? I spun it around and I took a picture of me. One day, I want you to spin your notebook around and grab your pen or pencil, and I want you to take a picture of yourself through words, through your words, through your broken places, through your surgery that scares you to death, through your Aunt Clara who won't be at Christmas gathering this year, through your first grade teacher who took you to the closet and you couldn't get out. From that broken soil, I want you to turn the camera around and take that poem selfie. That's the only, it can only be written by you. There are certain things that only we can do for ourselves. Walking through grief is one of them and writing our greatest poem is the other. And I'm counting on you to get your 
your greatest written. Your greatest that you say is the greatest, not the one you did at the slam and you got all tens. That might have just been something that moved the crowd. That might have been your sex poem or your broke up poem or your poem about Trump. No, no, no. I'm talking about the poem that you give yourself tens for because it so accurately says what you've been feeling and who you are. Why don't we just sit? Why don't we sit for five seconds? And let that soak in. I just said a whole lot to you. Let's breathe on that for a second. Loosen your shoulders. Let that sink into you like you're a sponge. And my words are your water. There's a great poem about you that only you can write. The way to get there is to know that you can. It's to stop telling yourself, I'm not good enough to do this. I'm not a good writer. My story isn't good enough to tell. To throw all of that out of the window. To let that go and get COVID somewhere and shrivel up. There is no boots to shop for that. And to sit somewhere in your silence and to write your poem about some piece of your life, some bit of you. Let's just relax in that. One of these days, I'm going to write 100 poems about my father. I'll start by describing the black of his skin and end up telling you how his eyelashes left as he aged, how his stomach was sidewalk flat till he stopped smoking, and how nobody could figure out where his accent came from. Poem number two. One Christmas, Mama used all her overtime and borrowed some from Miss Mitchell to fill half the floor with toys for us, my daddy bragged, huh, me and Lucille, we worked hard for these gifts. Look at them. Huh, too many to count. And my mama knocked his butt to the floor in front of Miss Dorothy. Poem number seven. After arguments, daddy sometimes lived in his big thighed mama's house in Florence, South Carolina. 45 minutes from south of the border, 12 footsteps carried us from the front door to the back. But we loved that little house with daddy's flowers smiling in the front yard because daddy was there. <laughs> daddy. When he died, we didn't know what to do with the house. So we let the city eat it. Poem number five. The street hummed with cars in front of daddy's house. One of them hit daddy on his daily walk, but didn't hurt him too much. Just pissed him off. Poem number eight, daddy loved to drive. When he came to see me at Howard, he had two drug addicts in the back seat. I was so scared when I picked him up, baby. I was zigzagging across 95. <laughs> Don't let me forget to write poem number 52. About the night, Mama put a fistful of salt in Daddy's grits. 
Wait a minute, I got to go up a few pages. Seal, you trying to kill me? <laughs> she said, no. Rolling her eyes and stirring the butter, swimming on top, refusing to melt. Poem 43. My father painted houses. Not a drop on the floor, not a drop. Number 22, my hands are my father's hands. Number 36 will be hard to write. I'll call it daddy's land. And it'll talk about how every time I go to New York, I see his face on cafe windows. I smell his neck in the steam that forces itself up through the broken teeth of sidewalk grates number 71. My daddy, Willie Bill Danley, danced way better than yours. <laughs> Our feet wiped the floor at my wedding reception. He'd take us to church, this is number 52, and pray with his ashy fingertips jutted in his nose. He rubbed our noses when we were born. Me, Melanie, and Troy. So our noses wouldn't be wide like his. Poem number four. Before my sister came, there was Dennis, my father's oldest son. After years of longing for our father, Dennis offered himself to crack, became a master carver, transforming stone into steeple and dying with our father's name on his lips and in his hands. Three thick lines made my daddy's forehead look like a sheet of notebook paper. That's a nice metaphor. Number 48, my daughter, fool, my daughter is something, man. You should hear those words when she speaks. Four score and seven years ago. Poem number three. I never saw my father young and silly with honeybees in his hair. Number two. My favorite colors are the six shades of red my father painted my heart. 86 when he died. Toward the end, he thought my brother was the cab driver. Troy put our father in a little nursing home where he laughed and ate jello with his girlfriends. The prostate cancer didn't take him. The dementia did. Chewed our memories down to this. Gail, do you love your father? Yes, daddy. Love all of you. Poem number 100 will paint the blue carnations that danced and laughed and prayed around his casket and landed at the corners of his lips. Daddy always smiled at me. And I'm not saying, y'all, that writing from the heart is easy. I'm saying writing from the heart is necessary. 
And it's free. Hello. <laughs> right. And it's free. Right. It's not something that you have to go and get. It's not something that you have to do some yoga stretches for. It's not something where you have to prove yourself worthy. Your words are always worthy. Let's try this. Let's try this. Let's try this. I want you to grab a sheet of paper. Doesn't have to be now, but some of you, when you heard that Gail Danley was coming on and doing a special Christmas podcast, sharing poetry. Some of you had your notebook ready. At the top of that sheet of paper, I want you to write the words, I remember. I remember. Those are simple, right? But if you allow them to, if you if you sit in them for a while, they'll soak themselves inside of you. And you'll find yourself recalling those moments from your life that you know good and doggone well you will never, ever forget. I call this ringing, W-R-I-N-G, ringing. It's when you take all of the words and all of the soul and all of the passion that is inside of you around a certain theme, a certain topic, and you let them spill out on the paper like big droplets of blood. I want you to take that I remember, that beautiful evocative prompt, and after you've written it down, and after you've sat in it for a few hours, a few days, a few minutes, or maybe a second or two, right? Some of us have our memories a little closer to the surface than others. I want you to begin writing down that moment from your life that you know you'll never forget. Just like this. Look at here, y'all. Look at here. Look at here. Look at how I took one of those th Thanksgivings, right? And I just started writing. Look how messy it is. Look how awesome. Look how full of sweat and grease and funk. That's called ringing, like ringing out a washcloth. W-R-I-N-G. I want you to ring a memory from your life and ring it and ring it until it's all there on that paper. And then, you know what I want you to do? I want you to find the mirror, that same piece of glass that you've been rushing past, trying not to see the reflection of you. Somebody's like, mm, how Gail know that? <laughs> Poets know everything. Stomping all over your toes. I know it. And I want you to stop in that mirror five times on Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And I want you to read that ringing out loud to yourself over and over and over and over and over again. A couple of things are going to start happening. First of all, you'll start accepting and loving yourself. Second of all, you'll start accepting and loving your voice. Third of all, you'll start accepting and loving not just the sound of your voice, but the voice of your voice, right? The perspective of your voice, that unique place that you come from. You'll start to feel it. You'll start to hear it. You'll start to believe it. You'll start to love it. Right. I, I, I'm making um, I'm making a guarantee here now. 
<laughs> stopping in that mirror and reading what you wrote to what you see. Actually, how about this? How about I attach my email address somewhere? I'll get a little Walker Extraordinaire handle the technicals of this, right? Attaching it so that you can email me and let me know how that mirror work worked out. How did it go? Did you fall in love the first time or the 18th time? Did you begin to respect, honor, and cherish your voice the second time or the 108th? I want to know how that went for you. I feel really sure that what's going to happen is that you, you're going to start leaning more into that glass instead of leaning away from it because you're going to, you're going to, you're going to catch a glimpse of your beauty. And that's the real foundation of being, I think, I think, a good poet is recognizing your beauty. Because once you recognize it, then you're not afraid of it. <laughs> you're not afraid when you're driving up 95 South or down, down 95 South. You're not afraid to pull over in the shoulder of the road and write down that vision that you just had because you have fallen in love. You have begun to cherish those things that come from you. That's the faith of the poet. That's the faith. I'm going to read one more piece to you. And then I'm going to just hang out with my teachers a little bit. Just something special. Just for my teachers. You'll meet me over at Lessons in Poetry and get this little bonus gift. Happy Christmas, y'all. Those of us who are hurting, those of us who face yet another holiday with some dread. Just know that poetry, that words, that writing, that pain down is always there for you. That you don't have to go through any of that by yourself because you have got your pen. You have got your voice. You have got your emotion. And at four o'clock in the morning when everybody else is sleeping and you're wide awake because this is the first Christmas without your uncle, take it to the pen. Take it to the notebook. One more for you. I hope you all have enjoyed this. I've enjoyed this immensely. When I think of you, I think of all that pain you carried inside of you. Balled up in knots, little fists that only needed the right love to uncurl. It must have been hard living that way. In those days before Oprah came alone to give women pants and beautiful wings. I knew you were hurting. I saw it in the anguish coiled in the twists of your pen curls. I saw it reflected on those dark shades you wore, even when there was no sun to hurt your eyes. Mama, I could smell the pain rising from your skin like steam from pipes finally warm. Glimpsed it in the reflection of your glasses half full of scotch. I am sorry. I was too little to help you to untangle you, Whew. 
to listen to you and nod my little head in understanding and compassion. I'm sorry, Daddy was sometimes mean to you. I'm sorry. Those basement parties full of Gladys Knight and the pips always ended with slaps. If I could have made your short life bigger, if I had known how to sweeten your coffee with Skittles, I would have, Mama. You know I would have, Mama. I'm so sorry, Mama. I so loved it when you smiled. When your face became a scrunchie and yanked laughter from the center of my stomach. I loved it. I was giddy in you, Mama. Whew. I always found a way to see my face reflected in those dark shades on your eyes. Mwah. Thank you, y'all. Happy Christmas, happy writing, happy holidays, and happy you. Classy is created and hosted by Gail Danley. Senior producer is me, Walker Vreeland. Please subscribe to the podcast wherever podcasts are found. Also, rate and review us. It helps us a lot. And you can follow Gail on Instagram at Gail Danley. Thank you so much for tuning in. Hope you're having a great week. And we'll see you back here next time. Bye.